Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com hi everybody welcome to on a mother level happy halloween week it's spooky out okay not really it's just 2020 but it is spooky okay it is spooky because we're going to be talking about a murder story today as angela calls them murder stories and she is back once again she was on the podcast a couple of months ago my friend angela snyder mom of two um social worker licensed therapist and she's working on her second master's right now in forensic psychology so i wanted to bring her on because selfishly i wanted to talk to someone about the chris watts documentary that's on netflix right now if you have not watched it i would wait until you've watched it to listen to this podcast because we're not going to go into the depth of it will substitute for watching it, okay? Another point that I think I need to make is this is not a kids in the car podcast, so save this one for when you're out on a run at the gym, sitting there in the morning with your coffee, So, because we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this horrible murder story. On top of that, I want to, after my conversation with Angela, I want to talk a little bit about The Bachelorette. It's just me at my kitchen table today, so I am going to do what I've never done, and that is try to offer my opinion and semi-sort of non-recap by myself. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll end up deleting it. I don't know. Felt cute. We'll see. So we're going to begin with Angela and her thoughts on American Murder, The Family Next Door. All right, today we're going to talk about the Netflix documentary, American Murder, The Family Next Door. To me, Angela, this story is why true crime is so popular. I agree. You know? The fascination. Because it is a fascinating one. And this Mm -hmm. documentary lays out exactly why people are so fascinated by this case. Well, and the title says it all. Like an American family, someone who lives right next door to you. It could be anybody. Mm -hmm. People you think that are perfect or have this perfect facade. And then this tragedy happens. And it's all the people that live their lives on social media, Mm -hmm. which we all do. Mm -hmm. And we show videos and pictures of our beautiful kids and our husband looking handsome in the beach. Mm -hmm. 
and you never really know what's going on. No, all the fun things you're doing, um, just the happiness you can portray. No one shows anything ugly. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people get jealous or envious or think everyone's happy and I'm not. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And really, you can just you can put anything out there you want to. Yeah. So this comes at the very end of the documentary, but at the end of the day, this is kind of why we're talking about this case. Three women are killed by their current or ex-partner every day in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Three every day. Parents who murder their partners and kids are most often men, and this crime is virtually always premeditated. No question, this was premeditated. Yes, which... I was a little surprised to learn how premeditated it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions before watching it. I had read about the crime, but I assumed wrongly that this was kind of like, oh, he snapped and freaked out, and that's why maybe he did what he did. But that wasn't the case, which is even more disturbing. Not that it would ever be okay, but I think we can all imagine or at least perhaps understand the concept of a, I snapped, it was a terrible argument, something Mm -hmm. got thrown. Obviously, it's still murder, still not okay, but it's like your brain can handle that a little bit better Mm -hmm. than you can handle what appeared to be weeks of thinking about how he was going to get out of this marriage. Right. Right. And it seemed like he had convinced himself that this was the only way. He was a man who was unhappy, wanted out of his marriage, and for whatever reason, divorce wasn't the option he chose and ended up murdering his family. And that's me being a mental health professional. That's where I want to know more about that connection. How do you go from thinking I want to leave my wife, I want to divorce her, I want to leave my children, to I have to kill them all. I mean, that's a big leap. Especially the murdering of the children, Uh, these two tiny baby girls. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's why it's more sensational for sure. These The family annihilating cases are always huge media fodder, something people are really interested in. Because like you said, three women a day are killed by an intimate partner. That's pretty staggering. Unfortunately, very true. But I think the kid element is what people just can't even begin to comprehend. No, no, not Especially at all. your own children. So I don't even know if we've said it. We're talking about Chris Watts. <laughs> this happened in Colorado. This was two years ago, August mm-hmm. of 2018. The conversation that we're going to have is about the documentary. And so I don't want anybody to think that we're going to recap the case and its facts because mm-hmm. I, I want to more just react to what we watch because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have already seen it. Mm-hmm. The bare bones of the case are, though, that this guy is married to, how long did it say they were married for? Oh, I want to say she said like eight years or six years or something like that. That's what first came to my head. Okay. Anywhere between six and eight. Yeah. And so in the documentary, they're showing all of these videos that she has posted on her social media. And it seems like her family has given the blessing for all of these Mm -hmm. social media posts, 
pictures and most importantly text messages Mm -hmm. uh, to be a part of this documentary and so in it she talks about having been in a bad relationship and not looking for the right one and here he comes Mm -hmm. here's Chris Watts her knight in shining armor exactly and Mm -hmm. she painted him as you know just the answer to all of her prayers very quickly though we see that there's trouble right away because his parents don't come to the wedding. Yeah, that was a big red flag for me that his, I mean, and they had like this big wedding. It looked, you know, very fancy, Mm -hmm. very traditional wedding church and a big reception. And then, yeah, they say his parents didn't even go. So clearly, I mean, that's not a great way to start out a marriage when your in-laws don't like you to the point where they don't even come. Because for him, it was his first marriage you know I mean they had no reason to you know it's not like it was his fifth and they were like oh this again you know like in theory you should go to your son's first and hopefully only wedding well and I think they dated for a while it wasn't like this quick dated for a few months get married and what was interesting was that her family adored him that was pretty clear they thought she really had a good catch that he was the best thing that ever happened to her and I mean really I think loved him and thought he was the right person for their daughter and then we all know what you know the future held yeah so let's dive into her because we really see the relationship through her eyes through most of this documentary, namely through these social media videos. He mentions when he talks to the police that she works for this direct sales company called Thrive. And that's why you see those patches on her arms in quite a few videos, because I'm guessing this company has something to do with these health and wellness patches. And she talks about how they helped her deal with her lupus that she had. And it's like they contrast these social media videos with the text messages that she's actually sending her friends and these are completely different Mm -hmm. lives so interesting so again she put out to the world what she wanted but behind closed doors was struggling yeah probably you know to the people who knew them made it more sensational Mm -hmm. and hard to believe so do we want to start basically at the beginning with I mean the very first thing that we see is her coming home in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and then the next thing we see is her friend calling police yeah her friend's been missing all of three hours I know I was thinking what a good friend I feel like I feel like oh she's probably really busy with her kids and Mm -hmm. she's been gone so she probably just wants to hang out with them but yeah I so I did wonder about that why that friend was so like concern immediately I know she missed her doc I mean she must have called the doctor's office knew she missed her prenatal appointment and just knew that wasn't right yeah but yeah that was kind of impressive and you could tell she was very concerned so they show body cam footage of the police officer who responded to this report that She's not answering her phone. She doesn't know where she's at. She missed her appointment. What should we do? And I have to say, I was telling you, I've had a lot of people who've watched this documentary ask me about it, and a lot of them bring her up and the social media stuff and kind of what was, not victim blaming, but kind of what was her deal with Mm -hmm. some of this. But yeah, so the friend called and the police officer shows up and calls Chris to come home from work 
Because he can't go in the house unless he has Chris's blessing to get in there. And that that part of the documentary is pretty interesting to watch and how the neighbor guy called it out within five minutes. Two seconds. He was like, that guy's not acting right. And the cop, which I think I would have responded this way too, well, he doesn't know where his wife and kids are. I mean, you don't know how you'd respond to that. He's just, yeah, he probably is acting weird. And that Mm -hmm. neighbor... He knew better. Yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah. So I took a whole bunch of notes when I rewatched this documentary. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I wrote down is, what do you think that cop's perspective was right away? Because I imagine, even though you don't know how you react, I imagine that there would be a little bit more like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. But no, she told me she was going to a girlfriend's house. That's when her mom called me. That's what I said. Like, what do you mean? You know, he, he was never confused. Right. Never questioned. It was sort of like, oh, her purse is uh, right here. Yeah. Um, Oh, here's her phone. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The kids' blankets are in their room. It was all just right here. Yeah, very There was never a moment of confusion. There was never a moment of, but I... But she left this morning and told me she was going, like, she can't be missing. What do you mean she's missing? Yeah. I think he was acting the way he thought he should act. Don't act like anything's wrong. Don't be suspicious. He was trying to be really calculated, Mm -hmm. and he was terrible at it. Awful. Yeah. Awful. Mm -hmm. At one point in the documentary, this is a little bit later on, but I think you notice this because this all takes place in the house. Somebody comments on the house being too clean. Oh, did I miss that? Well, I mean, it was it was kind of a throwaway moment, but you do. It's like you do look around the house in the footage that you're showing and just kind of wonder, like, what Mm -hmm. was going on in there? Mm Because it was pretty pristine. She had a lot of colors, Mm -hmm. you know, like the kitchen is green and then we have a blue dining room and then this is red. Like it was very like the Skittles of home decoration. (laughs) Um, So it's just, I don't know, it's just fascinating to see where she left the house. But did he pick up and put everything in order probably? Like, Again, oh, this is how things should look. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be signs of a struggle. I need Mm -hmm. to cover this up. But in theory, if you just, I mean, you have two kids. I have two kids. Mm -hmm. If you are headed out to a girlfriend's house, let's just say. In theory, you've packed up your coffee or tea and you're getting your purse and your kids are now like throwing toys all over the house. Mm -hmm. And who among us picks up the house before they head out? There would be a a matchbox car somewhere. There would be a truck on the counter, perhaps. Something. There was nothing. There was no evidence that kids had been up and had eaten breakfast. Right. Which I think that part is extremely strange. And that's why I wonder, like, if you're the officer who goes on welfare checks and nonsense calls all the time Uh because you're just doing your job, does this one raise alarm bells for you or not? That's a great question, but I wonder if because they have seen so much and oftentimes these things end up okay or the wife just didn't, there was a huge miscommunication. Mm -hmm. And so I think probably a lot doesn't alarm them. And she hadn't been missing that long. Right. And so I think he was probably, you know, might have minimized it or just was like, these things usually turn out fine. It's not a triple homicide. Right. So that's... 
what makes me, yeah, I feel like they get a little desensitized to that stuff. Potentially, potentially. Yeah. Because I think the rest of us watching it are watching him being interviewed by that TV reporter. And he's Ugh. like, yeah, man, boy, I just hope they come Want home. home. Yeah, you know. That was awful. Yeah. And how they asked about the fight. And he's like, we had a very emotional conversation the night before, um, but I'm not going to get into it. And even that was so casual, you know, where if, if, if you were completely innocent and you had had a big fight with your husband the night before he went missing, you would think that you would be like, we fought last night and I, and I wish we hadn't. And I never said sorry. And maybe he wouldn't have left. And I don't know. There would be a lot more there than just like, boy, that was a doozy. (laughs) Yeah. He's so, he talks about it. Like they just are somewhere else hanging out and he, he, and she's like blowing off steam after a fight. Mm -hmm. He's looking forward to when they're all home again. All the while, the thing that's driving, and we're going to come back to this a billion times, but the thing that's driving this documentary along, because as you pointed out, which I didn't even notice, there are no interviews. There's no sit-down talking heads. Mm -mm. There's nothing driving this narrative other than her social media videos or these text messages that she's exchanging with both Chris, her husband, and this friend. Yeah. Couple friends, I think. Yeah. Text messages appear. Well, I feel like it's one main friend. And someone did say that to me the other day. Like, where's she? Why isn't she interviewed? I mean, she's most of the text exchanged. You wonder, did she go to the police when she went missing? And she's like, I mean, they never talk about that. Like, right. she's like, I know things weren't good in their marriage. She had huge suspicions. There was a lot of problems. Now she's gone. Right. That's a red flag. So number one problem that they have is she is out of town and there is some argument about his parents having given one of the girls ice cream that they were allergic to. Yep. And so you see this text exchange of them being very of her being very angry with him that she doesn't feel like he is dealing with his parents and this huge misstep. Obviously you have to take into consideration that this relationship between the parents and her is not great, but she's very angry with them for this ice cream incident. Yes. And his answers are all perfect. He says, I'm so sorry. I will talk to them about that. This is, Mm -hmm. this is BS. They shouldn't have done that. And then on the other side, I just imagine these poor parents who are like, ah, oh, we forgot she can't eat the ice cream. I didn't like, <laughs> at no point are they trying to give her an allergic reaction to ice cream, right. you know? Yeah. So the parents are like, ah, this was a huge screw up. And she is just unhinged about it, I yes. think. Yeah. She's worried about her daughter, I understand, but she doesn't offer a lot of grace to them no. for what appears to be an innocent mistake. Yeah. And I'm sure that has to do with the long history of dislike yuck between them and yet they're in North Carolina and she's appearing to be visiting them without him there right well I think she went out there to see her own family and his family lives there too they were both from North Carolina and yeah that was a little confusing but then she was out there for weeks visiting and it was her daughter's birthday in that time he must have stayed back for work you think Mm -hmm. and um his parents then didn't go to the granddaughter's birthday party after this ice cream incident happened which is again sad and unfortunate especially for the the child. So on top of this, she has just announced to him that she is pregnant. Or I guess yes. it had been, must have been 
think she was about halfway. I mean, she was like pregnancy. 15 weeks when she yeah. disappeared, I want to say, because okay. I think that's what he told the cop. Okay. But so she must have told him, let's say, eight weeks earlier and maybe yeah. nine, ten weeks earlier. Yeah. This part stood out to me, and I also wrote it down because throughout this documentary and these social media posts, you see the role that he is expected to play in their lives via social media. She's always doing the like, look at my husband over there and look at him play with the children and now we're on the beach and you know, I'm making cookies and he's doing the dishes. He very much had a role to play in her social media world. Absolutely. And nowhere is that more obvious than a couple of places. Number one, when she sets up the hidden camera to tell him that she's pregnant, Mm -hmm. she puts on a t-shirt that says, oops, we did it again. And he walks into the room and she's wearing the shirt and you just see him go, ho, 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 I like your shirt. Oops, we did it again. I felt like I could step into his shoes at that moment and go, he knows he's being recorded. He knows his wife well enough. And how much pressure you would be under to know that you are always being recorded for the purpose of the sharing of the the family life. Mm -hmm. And he better respond appropriately. Uh And I felt like in that moment, I mean, I don't know. It's not like when I told my husband I was pregnant, like there was no like jumping up and down and like, you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) It's not like he reacted wrong because my husband was fairly subdued and just like, really? Yay. You know, like, I don't know. I think that's fine. Yeah. I felt like in that moment, he was sort of like, ah, I'm on video right now. Yeah. Great. You know? And, And I think that's something he had gotten fairly used to over the years. Yeah. And should all those moments be shared with the public? No. 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 Because as we were saying before we started recording, the real truth of the matter is clearly their marriage is in rocky Mm -hmm. soil, number one. And number two, in the additional reading we've been doing about this case, they are very financially in distress. Yes. And so you were saying, perhaps if he did not know he was recording, his reaction may have been different. Not, I don't want this baby, but maybe just a little more hesitation of, We've got to figure some stuff out. Yeah, express the stress of it. Mm-hmm. But nope, he had to act happy and excited. And then you wonder, did they ever have any sort of real conversation about it? That's a really good point. When did they ever have time to just conversate to themselves? From just the perspective of the documentary, it didn't seem that way. Right. At some point, you see them playing on the beach. This must have been when he met them out in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And you hear her in the background of the video that she's shooting going, no, point, point her this way. Like, hold her up. Hold her up so I can get her in that picture. Hold her up. And I think about how annoyed my husband is when I, like, (laughs) make him take photos with me. Yeah. And that's just, like, one once a week. And not you directing a video. All day long. Mm -hmm. All day long of yourself. Well, and I know you mentioned, and more than one person has mentioned me being kind of grossed out by the airport when he was coming to North Carolina after they had been gone several weeks. And um, she texted him and said, let me know when you're coming down the escalator so I can record you seeing the girls. Yeah. It's just like no moment ever got to be just their family just what it was this is the first time i'm seeing you in five weeks and we've been fighting yeah so i'm gonna put my phone away and Mm -hmm. focus on that i would really recommend that what was the other part 
oh, it was when he was dressed up as Santa. And she goes, where's my phone? Like, I need the phone for my pictures. And he was like, I don't know, in the garage. And she was like, well, I need to take photos. I mean, he dressed up as Santa to surprise his kids. And all she cared about was where her phone was related to this. You and I want to take photos of our kids doing things. I might have wondered where my phone was in that moment. But I felt like the exhaustion was real, where Mm -hmm. he was just like, I don't your phone is in the garage. I don't, I don't know what the phone. I don't put the phone. And I, I think that's because we almost have this mentality. If I don't record it and put it on social media, did it happen? Mm-hmm. And then everyone would think that I didn't have any yeah. fun or memorable moments this weekend. I didn't do weekend. anything cool with my kids mm-hmm. today or during Christmas. Yeah. I think that's a real fear. And hers almost was becoming maybe clinical. You think so? <sighs> A little. I've had a couple people ask me, like, do you think she has some sort of personality disorder? And I don't know. There, There's not enough in there to really know if it's just kind of crazed. And I wondered if she had the type of job that encouraged that. Sure. You know, put this out on social media. You have to promote yourself to promote this product. I kind of felt like that's what her job was. Right. And then maybe it just kind of got out of hand, you know, because of some of the other problems in their marriage. I mean, she self-admits, I know I'm really hard to get along with or I demand a lot. She writes this in a letter to him because she's very devoted to making it work with him. Was, Was there something more there or was it just this social media, the phone, recording, taking pictures had gotten out of control. Right, right. Because presumably it was related to her job. I think those direct sales jobs sometimes make you put yourself out there in a look at what your life could be if you're affiliated with this organization. Right. And she was clearly deep into it. I mean, that one long trip she took Mm -hmm. before she died was on this work seminar or something or other. I think... People who are super insecure and insecure in their marriage tend to do this stuff even more. Yeah. And I'm not trying to put anybody down who posts a lot on social media. I post on social media, but I feel like people, when things are so bad on the inside, they got to project something different to the outside. See, we're happy. Things are fine. We have this beautiful family. Because you're hurting so much. You know things aren't going well. Maybe you feel like if you project this onto the world, you can make the outside match the inside. Mm -hmm. And to me, he was never assertive enough to probably tell her, like, put your phone away. You're obsessed. I'm so tired of the videos. Please don't record me when you tell me big news. I, I don't feel like they ever had any, just from her texts, and think she was telling her friends things they were talking about. Did they ever get that deep into what the problems were? Right. Who knows? Well, because the other thing that really stands out, and if you're her friend, I'm curious like how you would handle it because you obviously see her videos on social media. You may or may not have muted those videos. She's saying, she's crying out to him many, many times. Yes. And saying, Chris, I don't like this. What we is are wrong? not doing well. What's wrong? And what's really creepy is that all of his text Ugh. messages are perfect. Yeah. I want to work on this with you. I'm sorry you Don't... feel this way. Exactly. Ugh. 
Now, the problem is, is that his actions don't back that up. (laughs) Absolutely. But if you're on the other side of that phone and you're her and he's sending you reassuring messages, that's really confusing. Mm -hmm. That's really confusing. Why do you think he was doing it that way? Oh, because he was hiding something. And so he's having an affair during this time, not surprising. And he had to keep her pacified. He was trying to hide this deep, dark secret about his affair. And he couldn't do that if he was, I mean, he he was just trying to smooth things over on this end so he could do what he wanted on this end. Yeah. So if he says all these nice things, he's a good husband, he plays along, she's going to not tighten the leash as much. How much do you think his responses are related to the premeditation? Like, is he mm. expecting ever for those responses to come under scrutiny if she disappears? Oh, I think so. Yeah. For sure. Because even even with the ice cream incident, you would expect him to maybe say, like, hey, like, lay off my mom. Yeah, you're you kind of making a bigger deal out of Never this Never once needed. does he dissent and disagree with her. He always goes, you're right, I'll fix it. Yeah. We will work on this. And I don't think does. You know, anything. never does. But think about if mm-hmm. you're arguing via text. Yeah. There would be some exchange of disagreement. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not arguing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So he's just trying to pacify arguing, her. But he never argues. But yeah, and he, I think maybe that was his personality with her. But then also, yeah, he didn't want it to come back on him that he was a jerk. Because I really think he thought he'd get away with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, things crumbled pretty fast for him. But I think he, in his mind, had convinced himself he was going to walk away from this unscathed how in the world could he have thought that (laughs) well once you have to get to that point to do something like this yeah you would have to convince yourself you could pull this off and I'm pretty fascinated by him in general I've been thinking a lot about him he had this intact family no overt history of trauma again we don't get a deep dive profile of him but Two very loving, devoted parents to him. Is he a sociopath? Does he have a personality disorder? How do you go from nothing to killing your wife and two children? That's not normal. What is wrong with him? And so he really puzzled me. So the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath is a psychopath is someone who's very calculated, doesn't have a conscience, very charming, very um, can really fool you, pull the wool over your eyes. Sociopath has some of those same tendencies, but more impulsive, has a little, knows right between wrong, knows what they're doing is wrong, can have those moments of rage. I really felt like, yeah, he's more of a sociopath. And perhaps I was thinking, yeah, we don't get to learn about in the documentary, but maybe he had a history of lying as a child. I mean, again, nothing that raised red flags, or maybe he had stole a few things in his life or had cheated on previous girlfriends, things like that, that we may not that may not lead many people to do the things he did, but were kind of those red flags in his history. I just wonder about that. Okay. And to be honest, he wasn't smart enough to be a psychopath. Yeah, he exactly. Was he really doesn't seem bright at really all. Really kind of dumb. I mean, the things he did after, I mean, I think he thought he could pull this off, but 
He could not. He wasn't two steps ahead of anyone. I mean, that, again, that neighbor called it out within seconds. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's because I was like, gosh, maybe he's, he's not anything. He's this guy who made horrendous choices, but it's more than that. And so I I would be really interested to know more about his history. Right. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. And I wonder too, if there were some narcissistic tendencies and something they talk about in the documentary is he has this massive weight loss. Yes. And gets really fit and he becomes kind of obsessed with working out. And she complains about that to a friend. All he cares about is working out. And I wondered if, you know, they show him a lot of this new, nice physique. And I wondered if that exacerbated some of those narcissistic tendencies. Like, I can do better than her. I don't need this family. I just want to go have this new life with my hot girlfriend and get away from all this. Because we see a couple of pictures of him before. And we see that video of him where yeah. he's talking about relationships. Yeah, and he's weird. not very good looking when <laughs> when he is a little heavier. And he, he has a little more hair. Yeah. He's a very strange looking person in a way. Like his yeah. face is shaped kind of funny. Anyway, I'm only looking at that because he's a killer. You know, <laughs> like I can critique him and judge him. Right. Um, but I think people were, a lot of people talked about how attractive he was. Afterward. Yeah, after, after this weight loss. And yeah. I think that's what made people even more fascinated, like this hot guy. Same thing with Scott Peterson. Yeah, good point. He, I think, has a lot of women who write him in prison, which just blows my mind. And Gross. probably Chris Watts will have the same. And the detective brings that up to him. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you're right. He that does. Party's like, well, you know, so he used to be a lot heavier. And he says how much he used to weigh. He's like, well, that probably gets you some attention. I think they know about the girlfriend at this point. And he's like, I mean, did you ever cheat? Did you ever step out? And he, nope, 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 never did. And then later when he was like, okay, I do have something to tell you. I've been having an affair. And they were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> Again, you're not two steps ahead, Chris. No. You are so far behind. So at this point, she's missing, Mm -hmm. and now we transition to him being interviewed by the police. Yeah. And if the the neighbor and the friend are hero of act one, (laughs) the female polygrapher is (laughs) the hero of act two. And I'm very curious to hear what you think about the way she executed this interview, because I know you're interested in forensics yeah. and interviewing and this yeah. part of the job. Oh, so yeah. take it away. How oh, like man. how did she do? If you were to give her a grade, <laughs> if she was getting an assignment to interview him and do the polygraph test, how'd she do? She was brilliant. I loved her. So first off, their first interaction that we see is when he's about to get the polygraph. And she's very much like, okay, so here's how it's going to work. And then she's like... Right now, only one of us knows the truth. In about two minutes, both of us are going to know the truth. I mean, she like sets him up. I think really freaks him out. I I don't know if she knew at that point, like this guy killed his wife and kids. So when she taunts him, she's like, you wouldn't sit here if you were. You wouldn't be in here if you were lying. So let's just do this. Let's get it over with. I mean, she's so smart. And the fact that it's a woman, that was smart on their part. Okay. I think if it was because so then he takes the polygraph. He fails it miserably. They come in, and the guy detective just kind of sits back. I mean, he does. He just kind of lays back in his chair, and he kind of lets her roll with it. Yeah. And she oscillates between, 
I feel like being very sympathetic towards him and then crushing blow. Sympathetic, crushing blow. These are your babies. I mean, cry. I mean, these are your children. Cry for them. And then it was kind of like, you tell us where they are, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And he couldn't handle it. My favorite part of that exchange (laughs) was she tells him, like, you look physically ill. The toxins of your lies are coming out of your pores. She's like, you look bad, man. You look rough. You're not looking good. It's got to be your lying soul. You look bad. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about this technique because I... It's like, I know the police are going to find out what happens eventually, mm-hmm. but she's the one who throws out the theory that Shanann killed the girls. He saw it and then killed Shanann. Yeah. And then she says, chicks are crazy. I was like, wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's a little risky. You think so? A little. I mean, so I'm actually in a class, psych and law, right now, and they talk a lot about, like, false confessions and how police are allowed to lie to a suspect to get what they need. And that can be a little, you know, because he's kind of crumbling at this point. He's falling apart. um, And, you know, what are what's real and what are you putting in his head right which is the crux of the whole making a murderer thing you know where they say that's a coerced confession because they're offering brendan dassey these details of the investigation and so in this case she offers him this theory which we see he chomps on yeah kind of a way out right this is why i did it this justifies it and that's that's kind of the just world hypothesis bad things happen to bad people That's how we all want to view the world. If you're a good person, good things happen to you. You don't get murdered by your husband. And that's how we compartmentalize bad things. So yeah, she threw that out there. Like you said, he bit. He he liked that premise way better. I thought it was interesting when she's like, so you're really okay with us telling the world your wife killed your kids and he was like yeah which again also shows me like how cold he can be and then he asks for his dad mm-hmm. and you know he's about weeping at this point and confesses to his dad that he killed Shanann mm-hmm. because she killed his daughter so he he had to kill her mm-hmm. and um and then I thought it was interesting that the female investigator comes in kind of rubs his shoulders like well how's it going so again she flips back he's he's vulnerable he's low she's being sympathetic and caring towards him and he says it that's some skill right mm-hmm. like you've really got to read the room mm-hmm. and you've got to know when to push and when to pull yeah and i mean how the heck do you master those techniques like yeah. that's a lot of like practice. what a fascinating case study for sure a lot of practice uh like you said reading the room building rapport with that person and i think she must have seen he responded a little bit better to the sympathy and and that that was gross too and after he confesses he's like what's gonna happen to me Mm -hmm. and you're just like ah dude Mm -hmm. you're terrible 
Um, well, because they let him believe that maybe nothing will happen to him. Yeah, which is another tactic. Wow. That's another huge tactic. And you brought up making a murder. I mean, that's what they did with Brendan Nansen. Just tell us what happened and you'll get to go back to school. Yeah, didn't he like want to go to WrestleMania or something? <laughs> he, I think he had a project due or something. Oh. And so that's another tactic. Like, mm-hmm. just tell us what we want to know and you get to get out of here. Right. And resume your life when that's, you know, so not true. But but it's risky, like you said, mm-hmm. because it could be challenged in court. So mm-hmm. it's like you almost have to be confident that even if he bites on this theory, you'll get where you need to be. Yeah. Because otherwise, it would be like a false confession. You fed this mm-hmm. to him. If he never went back on that and told the full story, yeah. that could get ugly in, right. in court. Oh, for sure. And I think that's another difference between a sociopath and a psychopath was that he fully admitted to it. He never went back on his confession. In fact, he came out and said, I killed my daughters and my wife. He took responsibility for that. I actually just got done. There's a um, five-part docu-series called The Wilderness of Error. And Mm. that's about, it's kind of eerily similar. That's about Jeffrey McDonald. This happened back in the early 70s. Accused of killing his pregnant wife, two daughters. Said It was right after the Manson murders. And he said it was a woman and three guys who came in who were high on acid and killed them all. Oh, jeez. He, to this day, he's still in prison. I think he's in his 70s. He was a physician in the army. They were on a military base when this happened. To this day, maintains his innocence. Really? Yes. Even though there's like a ton of DNA. I mean, he did it. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a psychopath. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. No way. I'm, you know, he, and he got away with it for a long time. I mean, I don't think. He went to prison till nine years after the murder. So he was he was two steps ahead. He was very calculated to this day, won't take responsibility. Whereas Chris Watts was like, I did it. It was me. You know, crumbled under pressure immediately. Did it stand out to you that he said nothing in court when he pled guilty? A little. I was disappointed about that. Yeah. I mean, he looked remorseful, but at the same, was he feeling sorry for himself or for what he did? Right. I was kind of surprised he didn't say anything. It just, it's your one opportunity. One, yeah. It would have been very easy to just say something. Well, he could have garnered some sympathy because I was really repulsed by the part in the documentary about all the horrible things people were saying about her. And I do feel bad because at the beginning people thought she killed her kids so they just let it fly Mm -hmm. um but then they showed clips and you feel so bad for her family they're like well i would have killed her too she was awful look Mm -hmm. at i mean she just was seemed like a crazy person to be married to which is just a terrible thing to say i mean give me a break so people had sympathy for him right or wrong and yeah i'm kind of surprised that he didn't take his one chance yeah that would almost have really played into the narcissist in him of of this is my time to shine that's what i to say what i want to say and yeah i'm a good guy who made Mm -hmm. a mistake i you know yuck and something we didn't talk about this is the really gruesome part but so he killed his wife Mm -hmm. and then drove his children and put them in their car seats and put their dead mother on the floor of the 
the vehicle and drove 45 minutes out to the oil rigs where mm-hmm. he then killed his children. And I just, that's where I also get really confused. Like yeah. in that 45 minutes, you didn't rethink anything or mm-hmm. your choice or still thought you could get away with this. Yeah. Because in theory, you get rid of her Mm because that's already done. And now you can play your she took off. Mm -hmm. You know, I told her we were. Yeah. I told her we were done. I was Mm -hmm. in love with somebody else. Yeah. And now I'm here with these girls. And but no. That's why he just, yeah, his thinking pattern was so skewed. Or if he'd even thought, okay, I killed their mother. I have to pay for that. But I spared my children. Mm -hmm. I mean, why, why did he think that was the only way? I have no idea. I think that's what's fascinating. That's what scares people, especially when you see someone who seemingly loved their children. I think no one debated that he was a good father. No. So that I think scares people sometime who maybe get a, you know, frustrated, annoyed, angry with their families. And it's like, you ha- I think people ask themselves, God, am I capable of that? Could I ever do anything like that? And most of us would say, no way. Mm-hmm. I could never do that. But it's scary to see someone who's seemingly normal and loving get to that point. I can't remember which daughter, but one of the daughter's Ugh. last words was daddy, no. I know. He I still feel does it. I feel very happy that he has to hear that in his head yep. every day, mm-hmm. all day, before he goes to sleep at night, mm-hmm. when he wakes up in his nightmares. Yeah. Like the fact that he has to hear that is at least like the the justice that you could yep. hope for. Was it worth it? Was it worth it for the girlfriend? No. No. And it's the irony is that you know, he had told her, he says he told her that he was leaving her, wanted to divorce, and she freaked out, understandably. Of course. I think most people would. And she was sad, you're never going to see your kids again. And that, I think, again, was an anger response that a lot of people would say. Mm-hmm. She was in the moment, and she wanted to say whatever she could think of to hurt him the most. And he said that really made him mad, but the irony is then he right. kills his children. And now he won't see his children no. again. No. Right. And I don't know. I don't know. It's it's crazy that he... Um, but he had already premeditated killing his family. We find that at the end, that he kind of, he kind of says, I knew... This is what I had to do. Mm -hmm. But then he gets upset when she says, you're never going to see your kids again. That's messed up. Your assignment (laughs) is you are now going to interview him in jail. Okay. Today. Today. (laughs) End of October. Two years later. And that's your job. Like, what do you ask him? I feel like you should answer this as the journalist. Ah. (laughs) And I should answer this as a clinician. Yeah. What would we want to know specifically? Like the difference, the different fields. I would want him to talk about his state of mind right Mm -hmm. now. You know, Mm -hmm. I would would start with like, where are you at? Like, how'd you sleep last night? You know? (laughs) I think I would ask him what I said before. Was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, you would have to. Yeah. You would have to. If I was Chris Miner, that's like the zinger you go out on. Like, <laughs> right. was it worth it? Yeah. And then I think I, like I've said previously, I'd want to ask him way more about his life mm-hmm. and try to understand the trajectory of where he got to where 
he is now. It's a rough one. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, we talked about this the last time you were on the podcast where it's like some people turned it off at the point that we leaned in, you know, which was when it really got horrible where you hear yeah. about what happened to his daughters Ugh. and the fact that he shoved their tiny bodies into this tank. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, like. How are you capable of doing yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's why, like, you and I lean in because we're going, wait, you what? Yeah. You how? How? Why? Yeah. Where in your mind did right. you justify that and what? then think you're going to get away with it? I mean, what becomes of him at this point? I mean, he's, is he even 40 years old yet? He's so young. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to hear about him, like, marrying someone in Ugh. prison. Yes. Which is gross. Oh, can we talk about that sometime? Maybe yes. a different podcast. Because <laughs> I am fascinated. Like, if I ever get a chance, maybe I'll do a research study on women who marry men in yes. prison. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah. What? Because both the Menendez brothers are married. One's been married twice since being in prison. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out. <laughs> Uh, like I said, um, Scott Peterson has many female pen pals, and these mm-hmm. are women who seek them out. Right. They don't have Tinder. They're, they can't peruse. These are women who write to them, and they form relationships. It just fascinates me. There's got to be a bit of a hero complex. Uh-huh. Like, here I am, willing to overlook... All of these, these things. things about you. I see you for yeah. what other people don't. Yeah. And then there's got to be a great comfort in, I know where you are. I, know, I think that's I know where a lot you of sleep it. at night. Yeah. You can't cheat on me in there. Yeah. That Jeffrey McDonald I was talking about, he's married, has been for years. His wife is fighting for his freedom. <laughs> and she's a very attractive yeah. woman who, in her interviews, seems... Normal. Yeah, married to this guy who just, she thinks is innocent and wonderful. But it happened, it seems to happen a lot. I don't know. So that's that's all interesting. And I just feel like Chris Watts is going to be the same way. Yeah. Some women aren't going to be interested in him. Well, especially he has even more time to work out now. <laughs> I thought about that too. <laughs> um, he really focus on his health and wellness. <laughs> Truly. God. So any other lasting impressions on Chris Watts? No, I appreciate anyone who's listened to this because I feel like this is a tough one, even mm-hmm. though I'm surprised at how many people have watched it. Um, so hopefully no one was like, ugh, her again. Talking about <laughs> oh, murder. No, no. <laughs> That's how my husband would be. No, no. Ta- Angela talking about murder again. So... <laughs> But I, it's an important top. I mean, topic to discuss. Human behavior is an important topic to discuss. Yeah. Well, and human behavior is the focus of your career, and yes. you kind of have a career <laughs> update to share. I do. So a lot has changed in the last couple months. I quit my agency job and opened my own therapy practice along with three other people. Uh, shout out to Anna Richards, Marissa Mansfield, and Jillian Kaufman. Uh, we are still very focused on school-based services. We have big future plans, but those are all in the works. Um, We're called Blue Tree Counseling and Consultation, and you can check us out on the web at www.bluetreecounseling.org. We also have a Facebook 
Facebook page of the same name and you can learn more about us. We have a blog. Um, So we're very excited about what we're doing now, but also things to come. Well, congratulations to you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, scary. I know nothing about business, but I'm figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I like that it's another person who's made big decisions during this quarantine where it's, I feel like everybody you've talked to has been at a, like a crossroads of some kind, whether little or big, whether it's family or career, Mm -hmm. it's, we've all taken a harder look at the way that we're living our lives. And so so it's kind of cool to see such a cool pivot yeah for you it was a risk and because of the way things all played out I don't know if I would have taken this leap without how this year has gone so that's something I try to hold on to because I'm not gonna sit here and be like oh COVID's been such a great time for personal growth no right this has been a really hard time yeah definitely um but I'm so thankful to be where I am now in a lot of respects and yeah this is the next chapter we'll see where it goes I hope to incorporate some of my forensic background into my new practice got to figure that all out yet and just keep on studying people and trying to help. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if anyone has a suggestion of a case that you want Angela to break down or a documentary you want us to watch, um, because this was really fun, (laughs) quote unquote fun. Yeah. Last thing before you go, Angela, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast recently, but we've been manifesting on the podcast and using our affirmation cards. Yes. Do you want to manifest with me? Sure. I, uh, <laughs> and it's October, so we got to get witchy. Yeah. Well, therapeutically, affirmations are a wonderful thing to do. Do you want a super attractor card or... So I've been calling them affirmators, and now I wonder if it's an affirmator. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it, affirmators. Okay. What were you saying? Affirmator. I I would read it as affirmators. Yeah. Because there's an explanation point. And a unicorn. (laughs) Okay. Super attractor or affirmator. (laughs) I'll go with affirmator. Okay. All right. All that I do, I just shuffle them around. Okay. And then I just like pull one that like I feel good about. Okay. Um, And then I read it and I try to see if there's any... Anything that I can glean from it. Yeah, so they're they're not tarot cards. Like, we're not casting any spells. It's <laughs> oh, not a coven. But yeah, it just, I think there's... <laughs> I know you're laughing at the unicorn on the Well, card. it's a unicorn with... A bunny in blue jeans <laughs> is riding a unicorn. Yeah. So? <laughs> so? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why am I questioning this? <laughs> Okay, so just pick one that you're feeling drawn to and then just read it out loud. Spontaneity. I'm not good at this, so maybe it's good I'm going to read this. Yeah, okay. Do you like spontaneous adventures of the highest caliber? The only acceptable answer to this question is yes, so buckle up, Charlie. (laughs) And then it has an asterisk. There's a pretty good chance your name is not Charlie. You're about to take a wild ride through the unexplored, unconventional, and underrated. You're about to learn that yes is a magic word with the power to unlock new dimensions in space, time, and after-hour hangouts. Yes will lead to experiences you didn't think possible and teach you that lifelong friendships are something lurking just behind a karaoke singer's mullet. (laughs) 
Okay, so does that mean anything oh my to you? Gosh, well, like I said, I am not spontaneous. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm probably the least spontaneous person anybody's ever met. So I think it's really interesting I got this to remind me, uh, yeah, to say yes, even if it doesn't fit into my schedule or timetable. Yeah. And be okay with that. And I very much value lifelong friendships and find those to be very important. So I like that it talked about that as well. All right. Spontaneity. I like it. All right. Okay. Be more spontaneous. Be more present. I'll try. Especially during COVID. And watch The Bachelorette. Oh, yes. I'm doing that too. I don't watch all murder shows, but I, so I do allow myself The Bachelorette. I think you should. Yes. I say yes to The Bachelorette. (laughs) Angela, it was a pleasure. Always Always appreciate your expertise. Yes. Thanks for having me on again. Let's get to The Bachelorette recap. Episode three of Claire Crawley's season will officially hereby be known as the day that she became officially crowned the worst bachelorette in show history. I'm not afraid to say that. I don't believe that's hate speech. I just feel like she is not a quality bachelorette, and I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes explaining to you why. First and foremost, if you did not listen to my episode one recap, I want to make clear I was rooting for Claire, okay? Think Tyra Banks, America's Next Top Model. I was rooting for you! We were all rooting for you! That's how I felt about Claire going into this season. And I really thought that she was sort of a diamond in the rough and she just truly wanted to find love and that perhaps she was in the perfect time of her life in order to find it. She'd made some mistakes in the past and she talks about being in bad relationships. We know how things went with Juan Pablo. She got engaged on winter games. That was also a mistake. So I think we all thought that this was the time. This was the time for Claire. So I was rooting for her, even when so many of you were not rooting for her. I want to go on record. So I feel like I have given Claire a fair shake. I think she's a terrible bachelorette. And here's why. So first and foremost, what we've seen so far is in episode one, she declares her undying, lusty affections for Dale. Right off, the show stops. Chris Harrison comes out. What's happening? I love Dale. This is so crazy. I feel it with him. I wasn't buying it then, and I'm really not buying it now, okay? What I thought we would be talking about is that crazy Joseph with a Y guy after he decided that it was his job to shame Claire for a date that, number one, he was not on, and number two, that... At the end of the day, we all know that's not set up by Claire. Do I like the strip dodgeball date? Do I enjoy the concept of balls upon balls? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying here. However, I do think Claire deserved a little bit of grace. And I think we could all appreciate the irony of this clown talking about what's best for his daughter and respect for his daughter while simultaneously berating this woman, age shaming her, and implying that she, based on this one action that he did not care for, is now unfit as a woman, human, and mother. It was disgusting. I think we can all agree. And that's what I thought the takeaway would be from this episode. 
to the contrary. That episode had nothing to do with Joseph with a Y. He was such a memory by the time this episode really got rocking and rolling. What I think makes Claire the worst bachelorette in show history is this. Everything is her rules and everything, even those rules can be changed at any time. Here's an example. She encourages the men to take risks And then when one does take a risk, she shoots that down, case in point. She's upset in that first group date situation when she doesn't feel like the guys have come at her hard enough, they're not interested enough in her, and she's angry with them at that. And then you see Blake, Blake M., the initial initial texter guy, who she rewarded for having texted her against the rules during the quarantine period, she now says, I'm sorry, Blake, that's against the rules. Your team lost this game. You cannot come here and have some extra side time when your team did not win and allow you to have that special time with me. So takes risks, rewarded, takes risk, shot down. That's confusing for these dudes, okay? So I don't blame them for being a little hesitant, okay? Next, we have this Brandon character, okay, who, God love him, this Brandon, Brendan, whatever, he sits down with her and he says, Claire, I'm so happy that you're the bachelorette. You're the reason that I signed up. These are the words of affirmation that she has informed the guys that she really likes. I love a words of affirmation. Thank you so much. Tell me, tell me all the things. Well, then she says, well, what is it about me that makes you want to be here for me? And immediately this guy starts crumbling. I mean, he now feels like he is in front of Judge Judy. And you can just see in his face, he's like, panic, say something, say anything. And so he just, he just says, oh, you know, I think you're very beautiful, um, just really very nice looking. Is that all? Um, is that all? Do you know anything about me? No, this guy is complete toast. He's, he's like... Well, I'm just you know, none of no, nobody really knows anything about you. And I just really wasn't sure to do. Are you going to tell me that I'm passionate and driven? Because that's what you're supposed to see in me on day number two, Brandon, Brendan. He promptly gets sent home. She's furious. He's acting like he knows her, but he doesn't know her. And he's just another guy who's there for her looks only. Unbelievable. But don't forget, this is Claire. The rules can change, right? Okay. So now we have this mystery connection with Dale. We're supposed to buy in. We're supposed to believe Claire when she says that based on nothing, that she and Dale are locked. They are solid connecto. But just like Brandon Brendan, what does Dale know about her other than he thinks she's beautiful and similarly, she thinks he's very attractive. Okay, so how is that different than the Brandon Brendan situation? And so I ask myself, is she just looking for reasons to send guys home? Is she trying to villainize them in order to justify her immediate attraction to Dale? Is that what we're doing here? Because that's sort of what I saw on this Zach Johnson date. Okay, so we've got a regular nice fella 
who she takes to the saddest spa I've ever seen. And I don't mean COVID. I mean, even in a quarantine situation, you can have a regular, like, nice massage chair spa and not like the blue bath home medics put in bath bomb you got in your stocking. I mean, what was that pedicure situation? I don't even know what that was. So she takes him to that, and then she decides they're going to go get in the pool afterwards, okay? (laughs) So they get in the pool, and the first thing she does is she physically distances herself from this Zach Johnson, and she climbs on the rainbow raft or whatever that thing was, okay? So she makes it a point to make him unavailable to her, okay? I found that body language to be startling. Like, right off the bat, she is putting this raft in between her and this Zach Johnson character. Now, that's fine. I understand you not wanting to jump in the pool and climb up on this guy. I'm fine with that. But I just think that's her mentally and physically, again, closing herself off to this man. He's on the second one-on-one of the season, right? This is typically when we start to see maybe some of her favorites kind of reveal themselves, where in theory, she would have told the producers, hey, I like these four guys. Let's maybe try to get them in some of these early dates to explore. Well, already we're on the second one-on-one date, third one-on-one date, whatever it is, and she's on a raft trying to sail away from Zach Johnson. And then... That's when this next thing happens, okay? And I am just going to give my commentary based on what we saw on television. I don't know Claire's backstory, and I don't know what may or may not have triggered her to any such moment, okay? So this is not me trying to invalidate her feelings or anything like that, okay? Let's just make that very clear. What I saw was someone who kept herself on a raft, until the producers send the dog in to get her off that raft, okay? Dog comes running in. She finally has to get off the raft, at which time she very awkwardly says, ah, let's call this good. Let's go get ready for the dinner, shall we? What I saw was I saw her lean in and then think better of it and lean away. I thought she clearly initiated because she was standing up. If I remember correctly, she was standing up. And so she leans sort of down and in and then catches herself like, no, I don't want to kiss him. Pulls back. I'm, maybe I missed what happened next. I probably did. I don't have rewind capabilities. That's just where I'm at in my technology. And I'm sorry about it. But what I saw was him kind of be confused by this action. She says that he grabbed her. I I don't know, okay? But whatever happened after she pulled back from the non-kiss miss-kiss is she is now accusing him of grabbing her and therefore putting her in some sort of a power uncomfortable situation. I don't know how she felt in that moment, okay? I want to be very clear about that. However, what I saw was someone who perhaps thought it would be a good time to kiss this person to alleviate the awkwardness that has been this date and suddenly her homeboy Dale pops into mine and she goes no I don't want him seeing me kiss another guy on this television program that's about me kissing other guys and that's why I think she pulled back and again I fear 
accusing him or feeling a certain way about him or whatever was a way of getting herself out of that date situation. Okay. I'm not saying she's making something up. I'm not saying that she is spinning some sort of web. I just think perhaps subconsciously she wants to validate to herself why Dale is the only one for her and why it's fair for her to not give any of these other guys a chance. So that's my psychoanalysis. Angela, if you're listening, maybe you can tell me if I'm right on. From here on out, the rest of the episode becomes about Dale. Dale doesn't have to be in the room. Dale doesn't even have to be conscious. Dale could be sleeping. I don't know, but the conversation is about Dale, okay? The conversation is about Dale during the dates. The conversation is about Dale during the ITMs when Claire says, I really wish Dale was here. I really wish I wasn't getting a weird homedics foot pedicure right now. I wish I was with Dale. And it's in the hot mic moment where she's clearly telling her producer friend, let's hurry this along a little bit. I think that's crummy. I think, I just really think that sucks. Okay, Claire, I'm not, I'm not here for it. I just don't think that you're being fair. I don't think you're open-minded. And I don't think that means you just know what you want. Okay. I think these are two very, very different situations. And here's why. First and foremost, Kenny, the boy band manager, finishes the episode basically with this line. If you already got a boyfriend, what am I doing here? Kenny, you the manager of this boy band that is the Bachelorette cast right now, you are dead on because I ask myself that same question. If you already have a boyfriend, Claire, then what am I, the viewer, doing here? Not only do we not know what she is basing this connection on. And perhaps it is that mystery force that Elizabeth and I talked about. Maybe it is. I don't know. But what I see is, and what I fear is, okay, maybe not what I see. What I fear is Claire, the bachelorette, the woman who holds all the power, the one who wants to make clear that she can make a rule and break a rule and do whatever she wants, she is going, Dale, I got you. I'm locked in. If you're Dale, why not go with it, okay? Even if all you have is 8% like for Claire, what's the harm in going with it? You're locked on this stupid resort with this whole cast of dudes named Chasen. Like, what's the alternative? There's no alternative because right now... It's fun to be the favorite, right? It's fun to be the one that she sneaks away and makes out with. It's a great time to have all the guys kind of being a little bit jealous of you. He's in a great situation. And so I think he's in a place where all he needs to do and all he's currently doing is mirroring her affections for him back to her. Okay. And I don't blame him. I really don't. I don't think it's manipulative. I don't think he's here for the wrong reasons. But when you've literally been there a week, okay, I don't think this show has been taping for more than five days. If you're on day five, and even if this person may not be your numero uno, on day five, this is a great time. This is a real fun time for everybody. So now... Claire feels like she can sneak off with Dale and she can give extra time to Dale because in the name of the bachelorette who knows what she wants, that's okay to do. 
Okay. And she feels like any question of that is disrespectful to her. Well, I don't like the power issue at play here. The power issue is that she gets to decide all the things. What's wrong with that is in order for this show to work, there has to be a display of mutual respect for what you're all doing here, okay? And to me, that's one of those uh, rules that shouldn't be broken out of just A, we're filming a television show, and B, out of just pure respect for the other people who are here, okay? You can't go on and on about how impressed you are that these guys have given up everything, and then you treat them as if they are there to do what you are asking them to do only. So she wants to have a roast, okay? Now they're having a roast. And she says right off the top, I love a guy who can crack a joke. I love a guy who can take a joke. Well, guess what? By the end of this horrible roast, which they have added laugh track to because there's no actual audience because they're stuck and marooned on this resort island thing, Now, by the end, she's upset that they're making too many jokes about Dale. And, you know, that's just not funny. And how dare they mock her connection with Dale? I didn't see any of that to be a mockery. I think they literally have four things that they could have made jokes about because they've been there for five days. And perhaps the name of Dale came up. I, I, I just think she's completely, ridiculously unfair. And I don't think anyone went for any low blows with Dale and Claire. I, I just thought her reaction was just totally outrageous, okay? Totally, totally outrageous. By the end of the episode, Claire has made herself completely unlikable. Claire feels like the guys need to accept whatever rules and guidelines and boundaries that she sets without any respect for how they may be feeling in the situation. If you've listened to any interviews on other podcasts with various bachelor, bachelorette leads, they will all say that, of course, they knew who their number one was very early on, and yet they respected the other people involved in the process and knew it was their job to give them a good experience. That's something bad bachelors and bachelorettes alike have said. Now, conversely, on the other end, you will hear contestants acknowledge, I knew he wasn't picking me. I knew she wasn't picking me. I knew she was picking fill-in-the-blank bachelor. However, they, being respected by the lead, offers the same respect back to them and goes along with the process that they will believed to be mutually beneficial. They are both in it for their own certain set of reasons. And so that's why I feel like it's unfair for Claire to upset the scale of respect and declare that she gets to decide how they all feel and that at no point can an actual human emotion of this is unfair, enter the picture because she, as the bachelorette, holds all the power. And if they even want a shot with her, if they even want to be in her universe, they need to sit down and be quiet and allow her to explore her feelings for Dale unquestioned. And so that's where I'm at. We end the episode with the James Bond moment of Tasha coming out of the pool in this gorgeous red bikini, and we know that the end is near. Our savior is coming. Her name is Taisha, 
and we are damn glad to see her. Are we not? So let me know what you think. This is actually a little more coherent than I thought it would be. Maybe it wasn't. Anywho, I'm glad I was able to offer you my thoughts. I'm delighted that you are back for another episode of On a Mother Level. I hope you have a wonderful and safe Halloween. And um, hey, be safe out there, okay? Bye.